Just as a disclaimer, we want you to know that some of the movies that we will be reviewing were shot in a different time and era where people of race and sex were not treated equally. We understand this and hope you do too. The movies or anything that happened on the sets are not the views of this podcast or what this show is intended to be all about. Exactly. And we want to give due diligence in presenting the movie and not the views of the cast or directors or anyone involved. But we also feel it's necessary to let the audience know some of the background information to get a feel for what was happening at the time of shooting the film. Again, we hope you understand that we do not agree with everything that went on and we just want to give out the information. And with that being said, hope you enjoy the show. against the world. Those of you in favor of these articles, raise your right hands and say aye! Aye! We shouldn't hang this man. No. No. Hang him over the end of a gun. And we'll scatter his innards all over the sugarcane field. You're wasting words, I say. Let's hang it. You into prize covered in blood. Au revoir, mon chéri. Au revoir. Mmm, quel charmant capitaine. Mm, what sort of a man are you, hmm? Faith, I'm the sort of man you like, me dear. Man with money. Jeremy! Must you be forever sleeping when I need you? I wasn't sleeping, Peter. I was... Well, oh, never was... mind. Get ready to come about. Set the course for Port Royal. But, Peter, the English fleet is at Port Royal. Colonel Bishop, sweet, merciful heaven, haven't your ears? Set the course for Port Royal! <laughs> I've seen myself bargain for and fought over a combat between jackals. You pirates are used to taking what you want without the formality of purchase. I'm thief and pirate, and I'll show you how a thief and a pirate can deal. I advise you to go back to your ladies at Tortuga, who are thrilled by your bold, lawless ways. What matters is that now I own you as once you own me. You're mine, do you understand? Mine to do with as I please.
Alright guys, welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema podcast. I am your host Jimbo, and alongside me is my two swashbuckling sidekicks. Uh, Corporal Kyle Zaner of the, the, the third boat something. <laughs> and, 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 and Terrence. <laughs> <laughs> and usually t- Terrence is asleep again. Terrence would be the Sneed to your Captain Hook. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna throw a question out at the beginning of this one. We didn't do one last Yay, episode, so all right. Any questions. Finally, with the cues. All right, we'll start with the millennial because I'm sure he's gonna have something off the wall. We're both the best answer. No, the young, young baby millennial. <laughs> the great mouse detective. Kyle, Captain Blood is obviously a pirate movie. Mm-hmm. Kyle, what is the your favorite and best pirate movie of all time? Favorite and best pirate movie of all time. Um, it feels bad to exclude this one, honestly. Because <laughs> this might, might be my favorite, actually, going on. What, this one? Um, yeah, really, actually. Um, That's fair. But, um, hmm, do you want, if you want to go off the wall... <laughs> hmm. Treasure I, Planet. I, done. <laughs> I, That's a really good follow. I do. That's a really good follow. No, I was going to say, no, Waterworld. <laughs> Waterworld. That is a pirate movie in its own way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that seared variant scenes. It's a stretch. It's a stretch. It's a stretch. But come on, they're on the water. You got the Pirate King. It's good. It's good. I'm gonna say Waterworld. That movie is dumb and ridiculous, and I love it. <laughs> but um, okay. I'm gonna say Waterworld. And that's why we got that so, one out of the way, Terrence. Now I got Treasure Planet on the mind. <laughs> that's such a good answer. I no, I forgot yeah, about that. Say Treasure Planet. That's a good answer. Um, no, I really do think I want to go with with Captain Blood here. Uh, I believe this was it. This movie, um, I don't know. There was definitely a movie around this time, if not this movie in particular, that uh, really put pirate movies on the map and like made people want to make more pirate movies. Uh, but yeah, no, this, this, this is such a good movie. Yeah. Spoiler alert. <laughs> I think that, I mean, the real answer for like 99% of millennials will definitely be like Pirates of the Caribbean. Right. That's a good movie. It was, it's, 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 it's a solid now, the, I, like, the sequels kind of start going downhill, but. The first one is just pretty spot They yeah. made so many sequels. Thinking, but, man, I wish they just kept going more and more ridiculous, but instead it just got cheaper and worse. Yeah. <laughs> they, should be like, they, should, they should be like Fast 9 right now, where like the last, last Pirates of the Caribbean <laughs> movie should have gone to space. <laughs> like a leprechaun in space. Exactly. <laughs> but like, um, I'm glad that this. Um, was chose by a fan of our Patrick Sheehan. This is for you. But this is my first time watching this movie. Same. Same. So I really enjoyed it. Um, so let's go ahead and dive into it and get some behind-the-scenes stuff. All right, let's do it. Let's Captain go, Blood. Release date, December 28th, 1935. So we're going way back for this, this is one. Just this is one of the <laughs> oldest movies we have done. It, it even is. beats Gone with the Wind. It beats Wizard of Oz. There might be the silent version of Phantom of the Opera that was in the twenties that we did, or yeah, Hatchback and Hatchback one of the two that we did. Older. Um, but this, but this is that like was thirty-one, I think. I mean, I mean, there's not many films that are earlier that you can even get today. That's, that's right. Really, like, easy to think. Like I think like all over the Western Front might be the earliest movie I know where to get. Like, I think it was like nineteen fourteen or nineteen twelve around there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we got box office. Its budget was one million two thousand. Which, if you account for inflation, that's twenty three point five million today. Uh, so even in that, that's a that's a lot for that time. It really is. Uh, it's gross. It made three million, which is fifty eight point nine million today. So it definitely made its money back for sure. Yeah. It, it at least doubled, and then and then some. So an exponential growth. Exactly. <laughs> they would say that's a success. Yes. This was. Uh, we got a couple film locations. 
We actually just won. Never mind. Uh, <laughs> Three Arch Bay, California, USA. A huge different sound stages, I think. Yeah, probably different sound stages uh, that are not listed. Uh, production companies, Warner Brothers and Cosmopolitan, Cosmopolitan Productions. I'm just waiting to see who has the most mess-ups with words, you or Kyle, this, this episode. <laughs> the count will be in the 20s, I know that. <laughs> so, someone do a count. Alright. Uh, the ding, new ding, drinking ding, game. Ding, 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 ding. To they would die. <laughs> I hope you like alcohol. Alright, this was directed by Michael Curtis, who's also known for Casablanca. Which we've covered. Exactly. Yeah. People like that film, I heard. <laughs> Some say it's on the top. <laughs> uh, we have writers, Raphael uh, Sabaniti. He was also known for Let me go ahead. writing. He's also known for writing uh, Scaramouche. Never heard of it. 1952. <laughs> and Casey Robinson, who was known for writing Diplomatic Courier. And that was the... Uh, uh, the novel was written by Raphael Sabatini. Uh, so this was based off... The 1922 novel. Captain Blood novel, yeah. It's based off that book. And there's actually numerous other um, projects of like movies, video games, and other stuff like that, too, really? based on Captain Blood. Yeah, huh. it's a whole franchise, I guess. Yeah, it's like Captain Blood's son. There's huh. the sequels it's and stuff. Kinda, <laughs> it's kind of... You can they go down a rabbit hot. hole of Captain Blood-related <laughs> things in a really surprising way, and it's been a very pleasing surprise. Who was the, um, who was the fan again that requested this? Uh, Patrick Sheehan. Patrick Sheehan, thank you. <laughs> this was enjoyable. <laughs> We got four producers. We got Harry John Brown, who's also known for producing The Winner. Gordon Holingshed, who's also known for producing I Won't Play. Hal B. Wallace, True Grit. Good movie. And Jack L. Warner, My Fair Lady, who's known Good for movie. My Fair Lady. So those are all the producers. The first two being producers. The second two is executive producers. The composer of the music, we have... Woo! Uh... <laughs> Eirich Wolfgang Kongold, who it. composed, <laughs> who also was, was also known for composing music for The Adventures of Robin Hood, the 1938 one. And then finally, we have two cinematographers helming this movie. We have Ernest Haller, who also was known for cinematographer for Gone with the Wind. Uh, now that we've done so many episodes, there's so much overlap. I know. Now. It's great. <laughs> Especially in that whole decade there. Exactly. Like everybody did everything. Yeah. Uh, we have Hal Moore, Phantom of the Opera, 1943. And that is it for notable people. I got my notes here. Toss it, shuffle it around, make yeah, it look good. Right. Yeah. Get for the eye. Now, we're looking at tech specs. Tech specs. Runtime, 119 minutes. And then the re-release, it looks like they cut it down to 99 minutes. Uh, and then we have the West Germany release, which was 105 minutes. I wonder what they cut out. Some pretty impressive links, especially for a movie of that era. You oh, know, like of course, so many yeah. movies back then were like you know like 90 minutes or less at tops, and this one be full true. on going for the full two hours is really impressive. Actually. You know, what, the, the more I've been doing this podcast, the more I realized that there are just throughout time, there's a lot of movies that really went outside the 90 minute mark. Uh, for the longest time, I thought, oh no, this is the benchmark and the majority of movies are this. But we have so many movies that went, you know, 119, 120, sometimes longer. Like, and especially it's the older movies 
Yeah. Which is crazy because it's usually more expensive to do it that way because yeah. of the film because they didn't have Yeah, because I mean, you stuff. literally needed more film than actually showed and all that kind of stuff too. And yeah, but I feel like there's like a few decades where like 90 minutes was like that was what everyone strives for and then later the Honestly, trend kept going even longer Like you're looking at 80s about 90s that's when you see most 90 minute movies yeah and then by early 2000s you see once again re- long releases and obviously today you know we got we're, we're going full on like like if you want like like Snyder cut like yeah. four and a half hours <laughs> exactly I was like now know, one of the longest extended movies. cuts of Lord of the Rings, of the Rings you know, just, just like castle your days plans you're watching this now <laughs> pretty much uh, sound mix mono color info obviously black and white aspect ratio 1.37 by 1 film length 12 reels Negative format, 35mm. Processorical printed film format, 35mm. Uh, this was released in the U.S. And uh, the languages that this was done in was English and French. Just a little bit extra information that we can now pull. And, uh, and then they had a couple international release dates, uh, which are apparently done. Uh, this only came out when it premiered in New York, and then it went from there. Uh, but here's where it gets real interesting. So there is uh, some of the filming locations. We got 12, but majority of them were on the Warner Brothers Burbank Studios lot. And then it just has all the different stages that it filmed at. So uh, it, it was everywhere on the, on the in the filming lot. I mean, we got like stage 12, 14, 17, 18, 27, 27, 8, because it goes on and on. Made the rounds. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but it also, we got... Uh, Corona, California, Laguna Beach, California, and Palm Canyon, California, were some of the other filming locations. Oh, we also, looks like we also have three Arch Bay. So those were all the different filming locations of this movie, which is pretty cool that we can pull that information. We also have uh, the film dates. So this started filming on August 5th, 1935, and it ended October 29th, 1935. That's so, amazing. Once again, a three-month film production. That's only a two-month film. Is it two? Because uh, all of August, all of September, all of October. Oh, well, so I we're guess. looking at about three months. Because it, yeah, about beginning of August, end of October. More than two and a half, less than three, right around that, yeah, <laughs> that Goldilocks area where we can debate it. <laughs> yeah, and then we have uh, some of the notable, uh, or one of the notable songs uh, in the soundtrack of this movie, which we have uh, Frugal, episode from Prometheus. Uh, this was revised in 1855, uncredited, composed by Franz Litz, and then adapted and reorchestrated by Hugo Freindhofer and, uh, once again, Irish Wolfgang Korngold. And now we have the award. So we have nominated for five Oscar awards. We have 1936 Academy Awards USA, nominated Oscar for Best Musical Score. Leo F. For, uh, Forbstein, uh, head of the department, the score by Erich Wolfgang Korngold. Uh, this was a writing candidate who came in third on the ballots. Uh, it was not an official nomination, so that's, that's a very interesting uh, thing. I think that's the second or third time we've seen a write-in nomination mm-hmm. that wasn't official at first. They were nominated for an Oscar of Best Picture, nominated for Best Writing Screenplay, uh, another writing candidate for uh, the Best Writing Screenplay, Casey Robinson. Uh, they were nominated for Best Director, who was also a write-in. Best Sound Recording, uh, Nathan uh, Levison. I was going to butcher one eventually. 
And that looks like the end of the awards. So sadly, no winnings, but lots of nominations. And that's all for the awards. Some of the, these, these older movies, there's not too many awards to go around. But this is another one that I'm surprised as far as, as you know, what, what information we pulled up here it didn't pop up on the National Film Preservation. We, we noticed that in the House on the Hill, too. It was like, it's amazing, Luke. We haven't seen many retroactive awards applied to it because it's clearly well, such a good that's film. That's the most consistent because, you know, we in this podcast we do, you know, old movies. So it's the most consistent award we've seen. The majority of our movies hit the National Film Preservation Board. So it, it's interesting seeing something, as, especially as, as, you know, prominent as Captain Blood, it seems, and didn't make it. As, as far as these notes go, I'm actually going to look it up while you do your part. Okay. So, go so moving on to the casting. Now, this is... <laughs> I feel like I'm going to do a disservice to this for Curse how well I could possibly do. Because usually when I get a movie from like the 30s or 40s, it's like, oh, here's two actors, and they, they start in uh, half a movie... 50 years ago, here's the reference to it. But when I looked up Captain Blood, it's like the first ensemble cast where every single name character in it basically started another half a dozen films that are also legendary and will be covered on this podcast in the future probably. So I'm going to try and get through what I can and what I have, but just know that this film is just jam-packed full of amazing actors who went on to have fabulous careers and is tough to get a grasp on all that information, or I'd be here for an hour just going through the entire list over and over and over again. Just to, real quick before you get started on that really long list. Take of a turn. Uh, I just looked it up. Yeah, I've confirmed that this, this movie's not on the National Film Preservation Board. As a matter of fact, mm. I have there's a website that's some films that are surprisingly not on the National Film Preservation Board. I couldn't so that, imagine the reason. Like, something about the rights, I have no idea. I mean, maybe, but, maybe, maybe if we become prominent enough, we can push it. Exactly. We'll, <laughs> we'll be the ones to get on there. Don't worry. We're on the case, gentlemen, ladies. Okay, first up, we have the titular character, Dr. Peter Blood, played by Errol Flynn. Um, you'll recognize Errol Flynn from such movies as The Adventures of Robin Hood, um, The Advent of Don, of Don Juan, and That Foresight, that foresight Woman. Um, so Errol Flynn also had a legendary career, a great actor, and of course known as best for Robin Hood. Next up, we have Arabella Bishop, played by Olivia D. Halvan. Halvan, Halvan. That was she's most famous for. Um, also famous for Adventures of Robin Hood, <laughs> the Harris, and Gone with the Wind. Gone, Gone with, with the Wind, wind. is the big <laughs> one there. Also in the Snake Pit. Next up, we have character Colonel Bishop, was played by Lionel Atwell. You might recognize him from such movies as The Man Made Monster. He was Doctor X in the movie Doctor X, and To Be or Not to Be. That um, is the question. That is the question. I think Shakespeare asked it. <laughs> <laughs> um, next up, we have a pronunciation that I will nail the first time, undoubtedly. Um, Levisar. Levisar, I believe it was. Levisar. Levioso. 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 Levasier. That's actually that much better. Um, played by Basil Rathbone. Great actor. Uh, yeah, fantastic actor. Has um, the actor, only actor here who has a, um, a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Fun fact. And uh, he was basically known for playing um, a lot of Sherlock Holmes roles in the 40s. Such as um, Sherlock Holmes' Faces Death, um, The Scarlet Claw, and Sherlock Holmes and the Voice of Terror. All fun movies. So, legendary actor in his own right, and had a huge career, especially after Captain Blood. Next up, we have Jeremy Pitt, played by Ross Alexander. He was in the films Brides Are Like That, Boulder Dam, and A Midsummer's Night's Dreams. Next up, we have Lord Willoughby, played by Henry Stevenson. Henry Stevenson was in movies such as Tomorrow at Seven, 
1948 film Oliver Twist, and the 1938 film Mary Antoinette. Hmm. Next up, we have Hagthorpe, was played by Guy Kibbe. Uh, you might recognize him from the movie. Um, he was in the films. He was in the 1936 film Captain January. He was also a small part in Mr. Smith Goes to Washington and Lady for a Day. Then we have Wolverson, played by Robert Barrett. Um, he was starring in Lost, Last of the Mohicans, Badlands, and Strangler of the Swamp. Then lastly, my favorite actor was uh, in the film was Reverend Yuri Ogle, played by Frank McGlynn. Um, Frank McGlynn Sr., my bad. Um, he was basically uh, known for playing Lincoln in the 30s, and even in the film, in Captain Blood, you can tell he looks exactly like Lincoln, and I found that to be quite humorous at first, but also it's clear that he had that look specifically from the movies he was in, such as The Plainsman, The Little Rebel, and Little Miss Marker, where he played um, Lincoln in, I believe, two of those movie roles. I feel like if we ever are stumped for really old movies. We should just look at like movies we've covered from the past and look at these notable movies that these actors are in and mm-hmm. just close our eyes and just that one. <laughs> just throw a dart and like go hit it. And just, a, like, yeah, put put our and, like that, put our page on the dartboard. Just throw a dart, whatever it lands. It, it's on. one of those things where just like I could I could have gone in like just down a rabbit hole. A lot, of, just a lot of these are interesting sounding movies that I've never heard of. Exactly. It's just like yeah, like all of them worth watching. And it's like we will undoubtedly cover more of these films on the list in time. And we've already done a few of them. You guys, especially I haven't, but a few of them have already been done on this podcast and will be in the future. So it's um, quite a cast. But anyways, that is the cast for the 1935 cut of Captain Blood. Right. Uh, what did you say about uh, Levi Sar? About Levy being Sar? the only... Um, as far as I know, it's the only actor who has a, a star on the Walk of Fame. Not true. Uh, Earl, Flynn, Earl Flynn has one. His ceremony date was 2-8-1960. Um, then Olivia de Havilland has one as well. Uh, so... So fake news, my bad. <laughs> I don't know who your sources are. You're next on the line with this one. You like I said, you're on thin ice. Buddy. Like I said, regardless <laughs> how good I did, I would do a disservice. <laughs> you know, but it's say the cast of Captain Blood, Spider Man. Thank you, Jay John Jameson. <laughs> Seeing Captain Blood, maybe. <laughs> All right, so here we go. Let's start talking about some of the odds and ends of this movie. Um, there are a lot of them behind the yeah. scenes of Captain Blood. Yep. Um, so uh, I wanted to make sure because Patrick used to work at Ford with me uh, in Louisville. So um, I just wanted to make sure that uh, I do this justice for him because we talked about it a long time ago and I messaged him uh, about if he wanted to come on. And he said it'd be interesting to see what we could dig up. So I did my best, Patrick. So we'll see what we got. Uh, so this is actually the first on screen duel between Earl Flynn and Basil Rathbone, um, which. Surprisingly, three years later, they would do it again to a much larger scale in The Adventures of Robin Hood in 1938. I think we need to do that one. I feel like we do. I, I, yeah. I just think it's going to be good. Also, I really just enjoy Robin Hood movies in general. Like, just a good majority of Robin Hood movies. Now, Kyle likes the Robin Hood Disney cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... Um, Earl Flynn was actually ill with malaria during filming. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a pretty serious one, too. Um, that's, uh, especially at the time, very serious. Yeah. <laughs> there was a, uh, this was a big gamble for Warner Brothers because basically they're taking, um, it's a very expensive production costing $1 million without any famous people's names attached to it. Uh, Earl Flynn and, of course, Olivia de Havilland became stars after this film's release, so they took a big chance. 
Yeah, you can tell a lot of these uh, actors and their notable movies are after this movie. Yeah, they had their yeah their careers were uplifted by appearing in Captain Blood, especially like it's almost like a like almost like a late day equivalent of like Boogie Nights, where you hear about all those actors from their first time movies, and then they went on to have these amazing careers. It seems like the same is true of Captain Blood, where like most of the actors in Captain Blood then went on to do even bigger movies on their own, and uh, it's truly incredible and impressive. Right. Uh, this is first of nine movies made together by Warner Brothers romantic couple Olivia de Havilland and Earl Flynn. So they did actually nine movies together. Oh, wow. That's impressive. When it prints money, you keep working. <laughs> <laughs> no full-size ships were photographed for the battle scenes. The sequences relied on a combination of process shots, miniatures, and footage from the silent film The Seahawk in 1924, which was based on another Raphael Sabatini novel. Very interesting. You know, it's definitely one of those things where just like it's it's amazing to see like. But you, you know, could like, tell some of the shit. You know, it's like like I used to play in the bathtub when I was a kid. You know, the shit, you could tell what it looked like. Yeah, yeah. But so it's amazing, like you know, like like you go back to certain eras and it's just like okay, we don't have the budget for this or we don't have the ability to make it on screen in the first place. Like the inventive ways they used to hide around the fact, like we're not getting a real ship. So here's some miniatures, here's some recycled footage, all that stuff. Yeah, exactly. But it's still it's well done. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah especially, especially from 1930, well yeah, five or whatever. Um. In his first role, Earl Flynn was so nervous during the early shooting that director Michael Kurt, uh, Curtis had to retake his early scenes much later in production, by which time Flynn had gained an acceptable level of confidence. Uh, his work on this film infected Basil Rathbone with the fencing bug. He became de- dedicated to the sport, took lessons, and competed away from his on-screen roles, and within a couple of years was acknowledged to be the finest fencing actor in Hollywood. However... Since he always played the villain in costume dramas, he always lost his duels. Uh, some of his most famous losses were to Earl Flynn in Captain Blood and in Robin Hood, to Danny Kaye in The Court Gesture, and to Tyrone Power in The Mark of Zorro. Rathbone would always say that his uh, power was much more skillful than Flynn. Rathbone does win his duel with John Barrymore in Romeo and Juliet 1936. However... This is his only screen victory in a duel. How frustrating. Interesting how it's like you're the best fencer, but on screen you will, you're destined to lose. And how frustrating does that have to be when you're so good at this and then you have to intentionally just flib? Well, <laughs> but what about Inigo Montoya? <laughs> That's what I wanted. Yeah. Uh, so, very well done. I mean, he took it to heart, so. That's what I, I like when, uh, you know, actors just find like uh, unlock hobbies of theirs through you know movie filming yeah, yeah. or uh, it's, like, it's always fun to hear it, kind of some of the funnier things I see in Hollywood is like like action stars or something like that who have like in their contracts they can't be punched or knocked down too many oh, times yeah. and then hear about the Spencer had to lose every single fight he ever had <laughs> it, makes, it makes other actors feel like whiny babies and it's like I don't want to be punched in the face more times than the other actor or something like that <laughs> well it, it reminds us when we did Magnificent Seven about remember where they were trying to put dirt on the ground to be taller oh, than the yeah, other yeah, one yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, the Tom Cruise syndrome. <laughs> although they worked t- together a total of 12 times, Earl Flynn and Michael Curtis uh, disliked each other intensely. Huh. But that says something. You can still work with them, right? All right. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you, you can you can professionally work with somebody and enjoy their professional ethic, but not like them as a person. Right. Yeah, yeah. One of the jokes in the movie that stuck in there, um, when Peter Blood and his friends, they've escaped slavery and they're on the, taking the Spanish ship, and they're reading the proclamation that's banding them all together as Brotherhood of the Buccaneers. He mentions the date, the 20th, this 20th day of June, 1688. June 20th was actually Flynn's birthday. It's hard to believe this is a coincidence, which is interesting is what he made this film that he wasn't yet a star. So him ad-libbing something like that was very risky <laughs> for him. Uh, so I thought that was pretty funny. 
Uh, Robert Donat was cast in the title role but couldn't compete because of chronic health issues. Leslie Howard was second choice but was either unavailable or uninterested. Frederick March, Ronald Coleman, and Clark Gable were also considered by Supervisory Harry uh, Supervisor Harry Joe Brown. So Clark Gable could have been in this movie as well, which would have been interesting because if he was in it with Olivia de Havilland, they were both in Gone with the Wind too. That's true. That would have been uh, yeah interesting. Like just parallel universe where that actually happened, or Errol Flynn was in par- Carol with the Wind instead of Clark Gable. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, Olivia de Havilland, uh, who played Ariabella Bishop, passed away on July 26, 2020, having outlived her co-star Earl Flynn by some 60-plus years, who died in 1959. Oh, wow. Too young. <laughs> yeah. Six editors worked to reduce the 60,000 feet of film to 11 reels in time for a Christmas release. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's impressive. I probably even have, let's see. Probably have 60,000 feet. No, they don't have that. 60,000 feet, But yeah. that is... That wow! I mean, what a a grind. <laughs> My hats off to him because he made it great for sure. Uh, Earl Flynn's son, Sean Flynn, later played Captain Blood's son, Robert Blood, and the son of Captain Blood in 1962. Which now I want to watch that just because I watched this. Right? I wonder if his sons is a good great actor. We're all invested was. now. We're all like we can, we're, we're all in. Series. We're yeah. all decide to do our month as a sequel. The summer of sequels yeah. next yeah. summer, maybe. So all, all Captain Blood all the time. We'll have to start off with <laughs> Return to Oz, which <laughs> yeah, it's a weird one. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, in his autobiography, My Wicked Wicked Ways, Earl Flynn, who was a notorious prankster, states that he played many pranks on Olivia. One of them was leaving a dead snake in her underwear, which she found when she <laughs> went to put them on. After that, she lived in terror of what prank he would pull on next. <laughs> Um, <laughs> just, that's, yeah, yeah. So it's, like, it's, like, it's a prank in the 30s it's a crime in the 20s <laughs> um, Warner Brothers crime cons- anytime. <laughs> Warner Brothers considered renting the services of Cary Grant from Paramount to star in this film but Michael Curtis thought he was too effet or E-F-F-E-T-E whatever that means huh. Kyle mm. look it up E-F-F-E-T-E, E-F-F-E-T-E. okay I'm I gonna, forgot to look it up okay I'm gonna look it up look it up <laughs> So that's what Cary Grant is, whatever Michael Curtis is saying about him there. Uh, the final battle sequence between Blood's pirate crew and the French ships uh, used one of the largest technical crews ever assembled for film up to that time. The battle scene also required 250 extras. That's a lot of extras. Oh, you could have read it, Kyle. Um, <laughs> no longer capable of effective action. Oh, okay. Wow. Uh, affected, <laughs> over-refined, and ineffectual. That's your word of the day, gentlemen. <laughs> mecca like a high, mecca high ho. Uh, Lux Radio Theater broadcast a 60-minute radio adaption of this movie on February 27, 1937 with Earl Flynn, Olivia de Havilland, Basil Rathbone, and Henry Stevenson reprising their film roles. You see that a lot with older movies, that they do a radio drama too, yeah. which is pretty cool. I'd like to find some of those. That'd be Nowadays, cool. it's podcast. <laughs> right. We just go to podcasts. Who does podcasts, right? <laughs> Radio, uh, Warner Brothers was inspired to remake this film, which had been uh, first made as a silent in 1920. So this is actually a remake. Um, after the popularity of Treasure Island in 1934 and the Count of Monte Cristo in 1934 revised the swashbuckler genre in Hollywood. Uh, this is uh, one of the few movies where Earl Flynn appears completely clean-shaven. Hmm. Um, Michael Chris would often drive Earl Flynn to do 10 takes per scene. So there we see why he probably didn't like him. Yeah. Ten probably the, especially where he's getting whipped. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's do it again. Um, Tensions can always run high on a set. <laughs> right. As with many other Warner Brother release, re-releases, most notably The Seahawk in 1940 and The Sea Wolf in 1941, this film was trimmed for its 1947 re-release, losing 20 minutes. For nearly 50 years, the 99-minute version was the only one available. It was finally restored to its original 119-minute length for home video release. 
So that was that's where question. we saw. Yeah, where we saw the two different times. Uh, some of the ship-to-ship combat was taken from Divine Lady in 1929 about Lady uh, Hamilton and Lord Horatio Nelson. So I like how back then they're just like, ah, we're just going to take this from this film and put it in there. It happens a lot. More but I wonder. But I, I don't know if copyright was really a thing back. That's I don't. You too. see what I'm saying? I don't know. At the same level, not really. But well, like, I, yeah, definitely. Like it was more common in older films, especially the recycle footage. And even now, films do it all the time. Well, you know? I mean, because copyright yeah. only goes for so long. It there is an expiration on copyright. Well, there was a period of like I think like 20 years where nothing was happening because uh, Disney stepped in and said uh, we like our mouse. I wonder if it falls in the public domain after so long though. It's supposed to but there's some companies I mean you're like coming Disney, up almost 100 years. Like like Disney for example they just keep a hold on it. Don't know how. I don't know the whole legality well, of it all. You but... know how? They put it in that vault. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the, Academy, the Academy Awards that year, which Terrence said, allowed write-in votes. Based on write-ins alone, Michael Curtis would have won the Oscar <laughs> for Best Director, but on the night he lost to John Ford for his work on The Informer in 1935. Composer Eric Wolfgang uh, Korngold and writer Casey Robinson also failed to be properly nominated, though both received a significant number of write-in votes for their work, which is sad. Because if Curtis could have wrote... Uh, I guess that's why you have the Academy to vote yeah. on things like that. So. Well, that's the thing is, like, they would have... If this was People's Choice Awards, they would have won. If they were officially part of the voting process, they probably would have won. But since they were literally all write-ins, because people were like, this guy is really good and he should be here. Yeah. yeah. There was enough people to to write that in to make it a notable thing to be like, yeah, they were nominated. We live in an unjust world and this man was robbed. <laughs> this film has a 100% rating based on 25 critic reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. Wow. So that's impressive. Um... <laughs> Let's see here. This is the first film to feature a musical score by Korngold, one of Hollywood's greatest composers. He was only given three weeks to score this film. Later on, Warner Brothers realized what they had and gave him more time than he needed. Um, the card game Bronson and Wacker are playing is Cribbage. You know how to play Cribbage? Cribbage card? is a... Cribbage. Old school game. It's like I think it's a, weird think it's a pirate game. <laughs> yes, yes, I know. But. <laughs> uh, Not old school. <laughs> old pirate game. Yeah, the thing, yes, the yes. thing video games teach you. Yeah, <laughs> it's a mini game, and then all of Assassin's Creed game. I'm sure. <laughs> Jack Warner initially offered the part of Arabella to Marion Davies, Betty Davies, or Betty Davies, Betty Davis, and Anita Louise also made screen tests. Jean Muir was a strong contender, but only if Robert Donette was her leading man. Uh, in 1994, Warner Brothers announced a remake with John McTiernan directing a script by Jonathan Hensley. McTiernan wanted Alec Baldwin to play the title role. Hmm. Chuck Russell then succeeded him as director after his success with The Mask in 1994. <laughs> and Frank Darabont took over the uh, scripting duties. Arnold Schwarzenegger was also remembered for the lead, but the project never was like, Can you imagine Arnold? <laughs> I'll be back for you, Arabella. <laughs> Oh, man. Get to the boat! Get to the boat! <laughs> that is such a polar opposite Dude, of Alan and his suave character. I know. Right? Like, hey, can, oh, funny funny. can you be a suave pirate? No! I can't be suave in anything. Basil Rathbone. I'm so suave. <laughs> Olivia de Havilland was only 19 years old at the time of filming, and Earl Flynn was actually 26 years old. Uh, when Blood's crew gets to Tortuga and finds a local cantina, a musician is shown playing a modern clarinet. The clarinet was not invented until 1700, 15 years in the future. It was a primitive design. They were a little ahead of their time. Yeah. <laughs> when Blood and Levasseur are shooting coins on Tortuga, smoke can be seen rising from Peter Blood's pistol before the gunshot sound effect is played. <laughs> 
when Blood and Levius are shooting coins, a single bullet hole can be seen in the ceiling following uh, Blood's second shot. The next time the ceiling is shown, before any more shots are made, there are suddenly three bullet holes in the ceiling. <laughs> Uh, Magic. Yeah. When Bishop is <laughs> tossed over the side of the ship, support wires are briefly visible. No gunner, whether aboard a ship or on land, would ever place his foot on a gun carriage due to the recoil. Because oh, it, it's for sure going to break your yeah. leg. Uh, yeah, Guy Gibby, the gunner on this, does it a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> it looks cool. Yeah. <laughs> I love you, uh, ah! eyes blink uh, after the second wave has splashed over his dead body. <laughs> uh, during most of the scenes on the ship, the water and clouds in the background do not move, showing the scenes were shot inside on a stage. Uh, the Spanish rowboat shot is clearly rigged to... Uh, Cut into uh, split into two pieces during the cannonball uh, attack. And when Leviester is flying in the surf after being killed in the duel with Peter Blood, waves splash over him from his head uh, in the close up, but from his feet in the longer shot. Also, the fresh blood coming out of the corner of his mouth is not washed away. It is still present and not washed away in the second shot of him at the end of the scene. So, Terrence, we're going to let you take the reins on what you think of this movie. I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, Better than you thought. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Because um, I'm sure you know. I'm sure you were going to be like, "Ah, oh, this is, is. going to be terrible." Not even that. I mean, I, I knew it was a pirate movie, so I was like, "It's got to have something cool about it." It's pirates, man. Uh, so, but I, I didn't really have any expectations, neither good or bad, for this movie. I'm like, okay, let's ch- ch- check this movie out. Uh, it was another movie that just really grabbed my attention, and I really enjoyed it, beginning to end. And that ending, so good. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's a really good movie. If you like pirate movies, you watch it. If uh, you're just a buff of old movies, this is a watch. And this is just an all-around good movie. I say give it a try. This, this, I'm surprised I haven't heard of it before in any other aspect of, like, you know, it's not on the top movies or anything. But, man, it was such a good movie that I feel like it needs more recognition. I really do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I totally agree with you, Karen's. And I love this film, and I felt... I felt frustrated myself because it was clear to me after watching this film that like there's a huge blind spot in my history yeah. of not recognizing because like, I just thought like Captain Blood like I've heard Errol Flynn before but I don't know if I watched any of the Robin Hood movies or all that kind of stuff like and then watching it was like oh I should have been digging a lot deeper into this because I thought this is gonna movie that I was gonna like sleep through and just be like eh, it was right? good for the time but no. That film is incredibly entertaining today. And I, I will mention that, uh, and it's not something I mention too often with a lot of movies we watch, rather I enjoy them, but like this movie, I 100% could see myself coming back to and watching again. Yeah, just for the fun of it, not yeah. even like as a, just a historical curiosity or anything like just, that. No, and like, just come back and watch it like, and have fun. You know, with the exception of just like, you know, the budget and like set effects, the only things that really feel dated about the film, like it, it's it still feels like... You know, as good today as it would have felt probably well at the time it was released. Yeah, it's really just, well written. It's the dialogue's great. The, the action's great. You know, besides the the, the effects of the ships, and it, it's it's a really good movie. Yes, yeah, so I really adored it. And I I feel like I'm gonna watch this again plenty of times in my life, and uh, really, it's just an excellent film. Jimbo, how did you feel about it? One thing I really like is I like the character development of Peter Blood uh, throughout this film um, because yeah. at the beginning, you know, that guy's running into town and he's like, hey, you know, the, the war or whatever. He's like, I'm a doctor now. <laughs> you know? <Yeah. laughs> and so, you know, then he ends up getting taken it was captive and then he goes to that court and then he ends up as a slave and then how he gets that plan together. But he also, uh, the chemistry between him and Olivia de Havilland was just perfect. Fantastic. No wonder they worked so well together, nine, what, nine other times. 
uh, just where you know where she buys him from the slave trader. Yep. And she's like, she's like, he's like, fine. Well, what are you gonna do with him? You know? <laughs> she's like, uh, I don't I have know. No idea. Yeah, no idea. But I like. <laughs> I didn't think that far ahead. Um, and you could just see the agony on him. You know, when they actually escape, um, because Bishop, the 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 slave trader, was actually what was that? His daughter, or oh, uncle? Yeah. Her uncle. Uncle. uncle yeah. Yes. And um, you know, you see him when he's 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 selling away. Basically, he's looking back, and you can see her looking. You know, and it's kind of you're kind of tugging at your heartstrings there. Yeah. Um, but you know, there was no way a slave was going to be uh, allowed, to, allowed yeah, right yeah. at all. Uh, but just to have the justice, just to see the the how all those men followed him, and then how and, you know. It has plenty of humor in it too. Oh yeah, the one Absolutely. guy where they signed the treaty about if you lose an arm, it's fifty gold shillings. If you lose a leg, <laughs> that one guy shoots off his pinky toe or whatever. Remember up on the and immediately yeah. called yeah. out on it too. He's like, like yeah, yeah. shut it off yourself. We know this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, pinky toe, you're not getting anything. And he's like, ah, oh, they're all laughing at him. Yeah. But I, uh, the special effects were even okay. I mean, it's it's a black. It's a 1931 uh, five film, whatever. Yeah, it's great. Uh, yeah, I, I really think uh, thank you, Patrick, for uh, suggesting this because I've heard about it and I've seen like the picture. I even used to see it at like the Walmart three dollar section or the dollar store, you know, in the uh, the cheap movie sections. Yeah, I kept passing by it. I was like, man, I don't know if I didn't enjoy this movie, but I really, really enjoyed this movie, it's, and I think everybody should watch this movie at least yeah. once. It's, it's a film I regret having not watched earlier. I right. feel like like yeah. I I considered myself a cinema buff before watching this movie, and then afterwards it's like you I don't have know so nothing. much more. To learn. <laughs> you know, that's really how it kind of feels. Which is like, man, I. I messed up having not watched this movie yet, and then you feel you like, know. what else have I missed? And right. That's why we do this podcast. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that's why. That's why, that's why I love too. doing this because there's movies like this that come through or get uh, uh, requested to us to do or, or try to do, and then this is this one is a gold star, outstanding, um, way better than I thought it was going to be. I, I liked in my it. Book. Um, even the soundtrack. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. great, sure. and then. I also like for the older movies. You know how they would have the words on the screen. You know, like yeah, yeah. Uh, in nineteen or uh, fifteen thirty-two, Spanish was at war with blah blah blah. Did you see yeah. the gunfights and all that? You know, like, but then a hero emerged, and the show's like the pirate flag or whatever. You know what I mean? So, if you haven't seen this, definitely check out this movie. Uh, I can't recommend it high enough. Thank you, Patrick, for uh, requesting it. Truly appreciate it. From yeah, we we appreciate you for that. <laughs> uh, next time we record, we are doing another requested uh, movie. Um, this will be from uh, author Leslie Fear, um, which Terrence and I have been on her podcast um, uh, because very I want to because I want to know very very awesome lady. Um, if you haven't given her a listen, she interviews people. Uh, she's done like a coroner. She's done like um, all different backgrounds, all kinds of stuff. Uh, me and Terrence, uh, movies, uh, psychics, all kinds of stuff on there. So um, if you like the interview podcast, please go check her out. But we will be doing. Defending Your Life. Um, <laughs> it was my first time watching that, too. Um, so 1991. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's Albert Brooks and, uh, 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 strange oh, enough, Meryl, uh, Meryl Streep. Rip yep. Torn. Right. Yeah. Uh, I watched it again last night um, for the second time because I didn't really like it the first time. Well, we'll get to it next, next time. <laughs> next, next, because next I could just go on. Yeah. yeah. Um, we have so, thoughts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have oh, lots yeah, of thoughts. Sure. So uh, be sure you watch that so you can join us next mean, week. Yeah. Um, well, hopefully next week. Episode we never know yeah, when yeah, Terrence right. is available. Yeah. <laughs> the week so, after when, yeah, we'll get to it. Right. And also, um, hopefully our Twilight Zone will be coming back soon. Um, Eric's taking the summer off. Easy's taking the summer off. And his daughter's having some surgery and stuff. So uh, we'll try to get that back on track here soon. 
Um, also, me and Mr. Kyle Zayner are working on something. Um, I don't want to say much about it yet, but there might be another addition to the podcast uh, catalog. Um, we can put in the rotation, and I think you'll be excited for it when we see it. I'm, I'm excited for it, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so, with that being said, I think this episode's coming to a close, and that's a wrap. And, and cut. cut.